So for the last two weeks, we've been in our sermon series, With Great Hope. And we began the series by focusing on how we can identify the hope that is always before us. And last week, uh, we focused on our identity as hope. And uh, today, I want us to, uh, to shift from looking inside of ourselves to looking outside of ourselves. Because we know, right, that everything that is within us is what we see in the world. And all that is external, we internalize. I mean, it's part of the paradox of life and faith. And so I want to give uh, some time and space to the fact that there are seasons of our lives. And let's be honest, where hope is a distant memory. Hope is uh, like uh, the face in your brain that you can see, but you can't uh, put a name with the face. In those moments of our lives, hope is often found beyond ourselves. Often in the community of people that we call friends or family or church or chosen family. There's a healing story in the Bible that reveals this deeper truth, and I want you uh, to listen to this incredible story from the Gospel of Mark this morning. Listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. When he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in the front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy for me. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived it in his spirit that they were discussing these questioning questions among themselves. And he said to them, uh, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? I mean, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So have you ever had an experience from your past and it comes back to you in a flash, almost like a dream, and you aren't quite sure where it came from? But somewhere within you, uh, somewhere within the depths of your being, you remember a part of your life that was so long ago, it feels more like a dream then a reality, and then you pause for just a second and you wonder, did I dream that or did I actually live it? I had one of those experiences uh, just this week when I was working on this sermon. 
The memory uh, was from years ago, my teenage years. When I was a teenager, I used to look forward to going to summer camp more than any other part of the year. I mean, more than the big football game that was coming up that I was going to play in, more than prom, more than Christmas, more than my birthday. Specifically, uh, I looked forward to the week in Montreat more than anything else in the world. Some of our uh, young people, you know this feeling. I know and recognize that this makes me quite the Montreat homer, and look, I've just learned to embrace it. I mean, if you would have asked my 15-year-old self why I looked forward to that week more than any other week, my 15-year-old self would have said, uh, it was the friends and the community and the feeling that I could be fully me that week. But my 37-year-old self would tell you, I love that week in Montreat because I encountered the living God in real and tangible ways. And the memory that came flashing back to me this week was uh, of one such moment when the living God encountered me. The moment that came rushing back uh, happened one of those weeks in Montreat when a girl in my small group had revealed to us at the end of the week that she was uh, in a dark place before she came to Montreat. Her parents had just divorced. She felt socially isolated and uh, she felt skeptical at best of the whole church God faith thing. Frankly, she admitted to us, she wasn't real excited about the idea of jumping on a church bus and heading into the mountains for a week with people she didn't know. And then she paused, she took a deep breath. And then she said, but, but, I don't know, something shifted for me during this week. I can't quite describe it, she said. I'm still a little skeptical of it, like I can't quite trust this feeling, but I feel like I, I've experienced the presence of God this week. She said, I still have a lot of questions, but she said, I'm heading home with a different perspective, like I'm connected to something bigger than myself, and she said, and I'm nervous. I'm not uh, nervous that I've had this experience, but I'm nervous that I'm heading back home to the pain and to the darkness that I know awaits me. And she said, I just hope this feeling that I've had this week, I just hope this feeling doesn't leave me. An adult leader uh, in our group sat down right next to her and said, um, I don't know everything that's awaiting you when you go home, but I do want you to know this. I want you to know that you don't go alone because I'm going to hope for you when you can't. And I'm going to uh, have faith for you when you feel like you can't have faith. And I'm going to uh, pray for you every day, even when you feel like you can't pray. It can be tempting to want to dismiss memories like that from our past, right? Even uh, as I wrote this sermon this week, I uh, almost didn't include that. I wanted to, you know, ch chalk this story up to teenage emotions. 
But I do think those moments reveal a, a deeper truth that we often run away from in our adult years. I mean, if we're really honest, how many of us have felt like that girl in my small group at some point in our lives? I mean, we have a season of life when things are dark and unknown and scary and disorienting. And we want to hold on to hope. I mean, we want to hold on to faith. And we just can't. And we're too afraid to admit it. I mean, we put on a good face. We smile at the office. We uh, remain chipper around our kids. We always respond to our friends when they ask us how we're doing. Oh, you know, things are great. We may even shy away from confiding how we're really doing to our partner. And so we go about our business. I mean, we, we wake up, we make coffee, we get dressed, we look the part, but under uh, the hood, we're a wreck. We've all been there. I don't know, you may be there uh, this morning. And when we're in that place, when we're in one of those seasons of our lives, uh, where do we find hope? Our passage uh, this morning that I just read is the final of a five-part healing series outlined in the Gospel of Mark. And it seems that from the perspective of uh, the gospel writer of Mark, God very much cares about the health care of God's people. I mean, Jesus and his disciples spend a considerable amount of time tending to the physical, emotional, and psychological health needs of the people. This final healing story is about a man who is paralyzed. And of course, he isn't given a name. We only know him by his affliction. We aren't told his entire backstory. We don't know if he's been paralyzed his entire life or if he had an accident that has left him this way. We don't even know if he has a family. We don't know if he lives alone. We don't even know if he has the means to have access to health care. The text leaves so much room for us. And I think it does it intentionally. It always leaves so much room for us so that we can find ourselves in the text. What we know is uh, Jesus ends up at his house teaching one day. And apparently uh, the paralytic man, his friends hear about it. And so they load their friend up on what I imagine to be a sort of a, a stretcher, a cot stretcher, and they carry him through the streets of Capernaum uh, with the intent to walk him into the living room right in front of Jesus so Jesus can heal him. The text doesn't say, but it seems uh, that the paralytic man's friends have never given up hope that there are better days ahead of their friend. I mean, they haven't given up hope that this man can come to life in a new way. They haven't given up hope that a fuller life is meant for him. They haven't given up hope that their friend can actually be healed. I mean, they've held out hope for him. And don't you know that there were some days that were hard? Don't you know that there were some days before this moment when it felt hopeless? I mean, can't you imagine that there were days when hope was the last thing anyone wanted to talk about? But that man's friends, they, they carried hope for him when he couldn't bear it 
himself. Well, the problem is uh, they've carried this man through the streets of Capernaum, and when they finally get there, the place is packed. I mean, the text says you couldn't even stand in the doorway. And instead of going home, instead of uh, taking this as a sign, you know, it's just not meant to be, there are too many people here, uh, instead of resigning to hopelessness, this group of friends go through the extraordinary effort of getting this friend up on the roof and tearing part of the roof off and then lowering this man through the ceiling to Jesus. I mean, that takes extraordinary effort. It takes extraordinary strength, frankly, but it also takes extraordinary hope. And when that man is suspended in front of Jesus, of course Jesus heals him. You want to talk about a moment that you would never forget? And yet there were some in that house that day that couldn't be fully present to the holiness of this moment. And instead, they want to make it a lesson, an argument about sin and about the power of Jesus. Can we just all agree that that's just not that interesting? What is more interesting is that the action of that band of four friends was more memorable than what Jesus actually taught that night. Think about that for just a moment. The text doesn't say what Jesus actually taught. But the text tells us the story of what these four friends did. Oh, that's much more interesting to me. It's much more interesting to me that the action of those of that small band of friends becomes the very lesson. It's almost like the words became flesh while Jesus was in the room. Jesus uh, indicates uh, such in our passage. Jesus says, when Jesus, or the passage says rather, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus saw the faith that compelled this group of friends to never give up hope for their friend. Their faith compelled them to bring their friend to Christ. And so it begs the question, what compels that group of friends to do that? I mean, what compels them to go through the extraordinary lengths to carry lifts and suspend their friend to Christ? What compels a group of people to surround someone that they love and hold out hope for them and to carry faith for them and to help them know that better days would come? What compels them to carry hope for their friend? I think it's because his friends had known hopelessness themselves at one point in their life. I think it's because they knew that there were days in their own lives when others had, had to carry the faith and the hope for them when they couldn't do it for themselves. I think what compels them to do this is that they empathize with their friend. And out of their empathy and love, they surround him with hope and faith 
And they sought the healing that he most needed. Friends, is that not the story of all of us? I mean, we live in a world today where we are so quick to judge others for what they carry. I mean, we are so quick to judge others for what they happen to believe today or how they uh, may be trying to live or, frankly, how they may be seeking to merely survive in this moment. But the truth is, we only know a very small portion of that person's story. The truth is, we only see this much of their entire life. And the deeper truth is this, every single one of us is carrying something. My favorite Jesuit, Father Boyle, says, God calls us to compassion that seeks to stand in awe of what other people have to carry rather than judgment of how they carry it. Awe and compassion is always where God would have us stand. Friends, that's the greatest invitation to faith I know. It's also the greatest definition of empathy that I have ever come across. And I think that's exactly what those friends were doing with the paralytic man that day. Which means for us, there are going to be uh, seasons uh, of our lives when we will not be able to hope we're going to need our community, uh, our church community, and our friend circle to hold out hope for us. And there are going to be uh, seasons when we won't be able to have faith, and we're going to need our people to have faith for us. And if you're in one of those seasons this morning, I want you to know that you're not alone. And if you aren't in one of those seasons of your life this day, please know that you carry hope and faith for others while they can't. I mean, you may have never uh, carried someone through the streets of Capernaum or cut a hole in a roof, pushing the straw aside and suspending a friend from the rafters in a living room. But you may have driven someone to chemo every single week for the last three years. Or you may have taken every single phone call from the person you sponsor in AA. Or you may have uh, faithfully and religiously led Sunday school or a Bible study for the last five years. You may have dutifully driven your loved one to a counseling center twice a week for the past year. Or you may have baked more casseroles than you can remember, delivering them to your friend who lost their spouse just a year ago. Or you may have, out of a place of deep hope and deep faith, had an intervention with someone you love about the addiction that had taken utter control of their life. Or you may have called your friend every single day since their mom died 
just so that they would know that they weren't alone. You may have spent time with your children every single night, extra time, as they have walked these disorienting days of school and life in the midst of COVID. Or as I have seen right here in this very sanctuary, as you have carried hope and faith for one another in countless ways over these past five years, you carry hope and faith uh, for families as they sit in this front pew as they experience their loved one's memorial service. You carry hope and faith for them uh, when you stand in an hour-long line waiting to see them in Jubilee Hall at the reception so you can uh, wrap your arms around them and comfort them. Oh, I see you carry hope and faith for one another each Sunday right here in this sanctuary back when we used to be able to gather. When you uh, stick around after worship and you check in on one another, I see it. And I sometimes know that a, a family or a, an individual is struggling, and you may not know it, but I see you. you. You hug them, or you take time to linger and to talk, and you don't know that you're doing it, but you're carrying hope and faith for them. Oh, I see it all the time here. And in fact, now that I think of it, it's not all that different than how that person cared for the girl in my small group all those years ago. Oh, you carry hope and love for one another in countless ways. And don't you know, in all the ways that are known and unknown, that we carry hope and love for one another, don't you know, Christ is looking on it all. Christ is saying, wow, yes, because of your faith, be made well. May it be so, my dear, dear friends, this day and all of our days. Amen. We are people of hope who confess Jesus Christ is Lord over a kingdom in which no one is hungry, 